Uh, let's see. Oh, does Livia have a new hairdo today? This week? No. No? No, oh. but I did notice that you were the thumbnail for last episode. Yeah, and guess who, who picked it? You. No, <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> really? The algorithm picked AI. me, I swear. Uh, was, I it it, it always gives you like three recommended thumbnails, but it automatically chooses one. Two yeah. of the recommendations were me, and only one was you, and it chose me. So, just like to <laughs> dang Ari, I won, I won. <laughs> so, you know, everything's in like a cycle. So, I'll wait till my wait hairstyle till and everything yeah. comes back in style. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's so true. Wait your turn. Well, I'm really happy for you, Charlie. <laughs> Thank you. I'm happy for myself too. I know. <laughs> All right, here we go. There we go. It's another Friday. This week I did it my way. I made lots of juice, and now I feel a boost. Baby, say, oh, it's the way I make my juice. Pressing fruits and roots. This week I did it my way. Baby, say, oh. Have some fun. There is nothing greater than Friday's act of nature. What's up, my juice lovers? Welcome to Good Nature Radio. This is your host, Charlie Wetloffer, joined by the two two top juice business consultants in the world, Olivia Esquivel and Ari Sexner, in no particular order. Good Nature Radio is a podcast where the juice industry comes together to get help with starting and growing a juice bar, home-based juice business, or cold-pressed juice delivery company. Podcast is brought to you by none other than the world-famous Good Nature, the world leader in commercial cold-pressed juicers and juice business consulting, 100% family-owned company since it was founded by my dad in 1976. To request consulting or leave us a voice message to play on the air, check out goodnature.com slash radio. Uh, that's also where you can request free consultation with Ari and Olivia to help you with your juice business. Um, and also, if you want to join in on the discussion, head over to the Good Nature Juicing Facebook group, which is approaching 4,000 members, which is pretty incredible. Ooh, nice. uh, it's a private Facebook group. Just request to join and we'll let you in. Uh, just search for uh, Good Nature Juicing on Facebook. All right, so let's get into it. Um, this probably won't be a super long episode, but we'll see. Sometimes um, we end up having really uh, interesting discussions that last longer than I think. Quick updates, first of all. Um, uh, what do we have? So the Marketplace, I, I believe May 12th is going to be the official launch date of the Marketplace, so that's exciting. Coming right up, we had to push it back a couple times due to some... You know how it is, unforeseen issues with web development and inventory and stuff like that. But it's all coming together and super excited about that. So everybody keep an eye out on your inbox for that. Um, we've got a voicemail that we're going to play here soon about <coughs> dealing with a certain type of recipe in the X1 Mini. We're going to discuss uh cmos how people are using cmos and their juice bars to drive revenue and profit and also talk a bit about made to order juice and then uh 
leave a few minutes for pro tips. So let's get into it. We have a voicemail from Natasha here. Let me play it. Hey guys, it's Natasha from Empower Cafe in Indiana. I'm working with Olivia on some staffing issues, but I have a two-part question for Chef Ari today. We have an X1 Mini, and one of our most popular juices is the Sunlight Juice. Uh, we should be producing 24 12-ounce jars for our recipe, 27 pounds of apples, 12 pounds of pineapple, and 10 ounces of mint. However, we're finding that we can only fill the hopper one and a half times per press, versus four times for our other juices uh, before overflow for this recipe. Do you know why this is happening? Also, we find inconsistency in the color of this juice. We're using gala apples and cutting them because it feels like the grinder grabs them better. We're also cutting the pineapple into 16 slices. I'm wondering if we're doing too much cutting, um, if this is creating oxidation <coughs> and altering the color. I would love to hear your feedback. I'm so thankful for this podcast and for all of the wisdom that you guys share. Thank you. Thank you, Natasha. Nice. So, Ari, you want to take a crack at that one? Yeah, I like it. It's a lot of good details in there, for sure. So, when, when you're troubleshooting recipes, the more details, the easier it is to kind of begin troubleshooting process. So, uh, I wasn't too sure about what she was talking about filling up the hopper. Is she talking about grinding the produce and then putting it in the bag one and a half times? Yeah, so I, I've noticed a lot of people, the way they measure recipes is they like fill the hopper on the X1 Mini and that's oh, how they measure. So like two hopper fulls, three hopper fulls, mm -hmm. whatever. Mm -hmm. So that's that's usually what they mean. Okay. So Yeah, I, t I talked to her about this this morning because she's a client of mine and, and we were sort of we're going over some of her recipes Um on things that are selling and things that are not selling. And she keeps selling out of this particular juice. It's her most popular juice. She sells it three times more than any other juice, but it's taking her almost four times as long to produce yeah. it. And it's a simple recipe. It's just apple, pineapple, and <clears throat> mint. But she's saying that when she's putting them, when she's putting the ingredients in the hopper, it's mm -hmm. creating overflow, you know, yeah. so she's having to do several different, almost like mini batches of it. Yeah. So I'm checking out the numbers that she provided. That is uh, slightly less yielding than she should be expecting. Uh, so number one, I would definitely check out the, the ripeness of the apples. You know, that could be uh, an issue if they're extremely ripe, slightly mushy. So you kind of have two different categories of produce. You have mushy produce and then firmer produce, <laughs> harder produce. They're technical you know, terms. But but the, the mushy produce, you kind of want to, don't gauge it on how many times you fill up the hopper, just how, how high you fill it, you know? And so with firmer produce, you can kind of load that thing up all the way to the top of the pressing chamber. With mushy produce, you got to kind of find where you can fill it up to. Usually it's uh, somewhere between halfway to three quarters away. Also be sure to be using the batch button on the mini because it's a slower pressing. Uh, so we'll give it time to actually drain the juice rather than pressing it too quickly to overflow. Uh, so those are big aspects. And the the pineapple, the skin on that will actually help mm -hmm. uh, give the, the produce something to grab onto. So definitely don't peel it. I, I think you're cutting it a little too much with 16 cuts on that. 
So remove the, the green crown and quarter that. And if that fits in there, that's good. Or maybe do one more slice on that at most. But you don't need to cut it down that much and definitely don't peel it. So if if you're still getting that produce really mushy, it might be a good option since you're, what's it called, sun sunlight juice or it something yeah 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 i mean uh, something to think about is maybe if she just has an issue with the the oxidization of it or it's changing colors it might be that you're cutting apples and it's not touching the citrus right away you know yeah. from the pineapple the acidic element that keep it from oxidizing so if you're cutting the apples and let it sit there for a couple minutes it could start beginning that process so Cutting it in half definitely helps processing it. What I would consider, since it's called like sunlight juice, is possibly adding a tiny, tiny amount of carrot. You know, just because that could definitely uh, help with the color, make it more vibrant. You know, it definitely would reflect the name sunlight juice with having a tiny shade of orange to it. It doesn't necessarily need to be a lot where you actually taste it, but the color would actually be nicer. Uh, try not to cut the apples, cut them as you're processing. Uh, don't cut them and let them sit and, uh, try to get a little firmer apples if you can and, and make sure they're not overripe if that is the thing you might be getting. So those things might actually help. Yeah. I told her that I, um, remembered when you were in my shop a couple months ago or a month ago or so that, um, for our big green recipe, which is apple, celery, spinach, parsley, and lemon you recommended that we did the lemon first so that all the produce would go through and then kind of seep through the lemon and sort of help with oxidization and um, even just taste and brightening. And so I told her I, I was curious to see if you were going to um, say that pineapple would have the same reaction as lemon in that sense. Is it, you know, is the pH good mm -hmm. enough for that? Yeah, definitely. Uh, but I think it might just be you know, the cutting the apples ahead of time and having them just sit yeah. in like a bowl or a container that could start that process mm -hmm. for sure. Well, the other thing she mentioned to me that she was doing, which I thought was interesting is she's, um, so she's producing in the X1 mini and it's coming out in those two quart, two quart container. Right. And then from there, she's pouring that into another bucket. And then from that bucket, pouring that into the bucket with a spout and then bottling. And I'm like, well, it's getting air. <laughs> With every single pour, that it's kind of like when you're baking and you're like, where did you transfer it two or three times? You're like, where did all my batter go? Like somehow it disappears. It, you know, I think that it's adding too much air every single time they transfer it from bucket to bucket to bucket to then finally bottle. Mm -hmm. um, but I just don't, I guess maybe the apples or sometimes maybe even the cutting is, is making her hopper fill up so much faster than her other recipes. Yeah. It, it, I really think it, it, if it's a color issue... Uh, that's a really classic recipe that a lot of people use. Yeah. It, it yeah. might just be the apples just being mm -hmm. cut and sit out mm -hmm. again, oxidizing. Be sure to mix it, you know, grind a little pineapple and apple just because when you're juicing a mushy recipe, that's why I kind of suggested adding a little bit of carrot, mm. adding something that is uh, a little bit firmer can actually help increase that yield because it will give the produce something to hold on to basically when it's pushing and just not extremely mushy Got it. yeah that's a good point in, in the apple cider industry they actually have things they call press aids which they add to the apple mm. ground up apples to make them press better so 
like a common one is rice hulls. So like the skins from kernels of rice. So if you think about what that would do, if you grind a bunch of apples and you add those, it makes it like a more fibrous mixture. So you actually get higher yield. Um, and that's the same thing with like mm. a mixed recipe like this, where, for example, if you just juice straight pineapple, you're not going to get as much yield from the pineapples if you mix it with something more fibrous. So yeah, those are the, like the notes I made is definitely leave the skin on the pineapple if you're not doing that. She didn't mention if she is or not. But don't remove the skin. Um, I I don't think cutting it more to sixteen pieces instead of eight is going to make a difference, really, in how it's grinding or yield. But this just is extra time and work, so I don't think you yeah. need to cut that much. And um, yeah, once once you cut fruit, the oxidation process starts. Mm-hmm. So make sure you're not cutting everything for like 10 different recipes and then Mm -hmm. going back and then starting the juicing process. Um, I would say just remember that while the press is actually pressing, you have time to be doing that stuff. Yep. And then my last note, whenever I hear people talking about like it's two hopper folds or two and a half hopper Mm -hmm. folds, it makes me think they're not weighing it. And I'm not sure if that's the case here or not. Maybe she she is weighing it. She is weighing. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. Yeah. And um, yeah, nothing more to be said about that then. Yeah, but. it's really important. Just weigh the whole recipe mm-hmm. and then just fill it up as much as you can based on how high that chamber is. And and you made a good point, Olivia, about, you know, switching the containers and everything. Uh, very important is if you're doing a batch on the mini and you're doing more than a quarter at a time, you want to make sure the juice ends up in one container, you know, just so that, you don't have to be precise when you're actually grinding and pressing. If all the juice ends up in the same container, then you'll have a consistent flavored juice. So you don't want to have in separate containers. And if you were going to do that with all these different containers, I recommend uh, something that affects the quality of juice is being able to bring it out of that temperature danger zone as quickly mm-hmm. as possible. Mm-hmm. That's what I was going to say. Know? So, and so having that, that paddle, it's called the magic wand or chill mm-hmm. stick where mm-hmm. it's a, Water cooler material, you fill it with water and freeze it. It doesn't dilute the juice. You could have in that large container on the on the counter, have that in there. The juice will start uh, dropping down below that temperature danger zone as you're preparing, and then just add all the juice to there. And by the time you're done, your juice will probably be ready to bottle. Yeah. Um, I thought I had one other thing I was going to mention, but oh yeah, the. The coloration, if you've ever just made pure apple cider, like raw apple juice, you can see it literally comes out clear and then over the next 20 minutes turns brown. So mm-hmm. you definitely need to make sure you're number one, getting the acidic ingredient in there right away. Number two, putting it in the refrigerator, like Ari said, and then that will slow that whole process down. And start, make sure you're starting with cold produce too. Like the apple should be coming from the refrigerator Mm-hmm. Um, to slow that whole oxidation process down. Oh, last thing, cleaning the machine also, right, Ari? That could make a difference. If if you have some yeah. old produce that's already oxidized in the grinder or the press, that will speed up for the rest of your recipes if you're not cleaning that. So mm-hmm. that can happen, especially with carrots. Like if people have old carrot residue in the grinder and do another batch of carrots, they don't know why it's turning brown so quickly. 
it's usually because they haven't rinsed the machine often enough. That's one other mm -hmm. thing that could affect the color. Definitely. Okay, we can uh, talk about sea moss a bit. This is definitely a new trending item in juice bars. I've seen it a lot. Sea uh, moss is really interesting because it can almost replace taking a multivitamin with the amount of vitamins and minerals in there, um, except for a couple. Except for a couple of things that you find in a normal multivitamin, and I've heard it has really good qualities for both men and women. Um, different for different reasons. Well, I took some notes. I can open it up here. So I had a conversation with somebody about it this week, actually, that owns a juice bar called Griffin's Organics in uh, New Jersey. And for men, uh, reported heightened energy, libido, and increased testosterone. And that's because CMOS is rich in magnesium. Mm. For women... It helps them balance estrogen levels for the same reason, which can lead to better skin health and increase collagen production. So better hair and nails is one thing they uh, report frequently. So, and also great for fertility for both men and women. So um, for those reasons seem to be why people like it so much. Like they'll just have a couple tablespoons a day of CMOS gel and the results seem to be pretty consistent. So um, Ari, what's your knowledge about how juice bars are preparing this stuff? Yeah. So there's, first of all, every time I talk about CMOS, it's always about finding a good quality mm -hmm. CMOS. You know, that's the biggest challenge. Uh, you don't want stuff that smells like bleach. You want it to smell like the ocean. Okay. That's, that's definitely key for this, but there, there's two kind of standard processes that people do is one is wash it really well and then boil it and then blend it. Uh, I definitely like the, the cold process where you wash it really well and then you soak it overnight in a cooler for like 24 hours. Then it softens and plumps up. And then basically you just blend it with a water or any kind of liquid and you have this gel. I, I like using something kind of flavorless like water just so that there's really no flavor it just is slightly thicker to whatever you add it to that's why it works great for smoothies uh works great in juices too but it just adds a slight thickness to it but it does it's really flavorless though if you're using the right amounts like a tablespoon per serving uh but it's a great product you just soak it overnight blend it till it's smooth and then you have that product there ready to use or you add to whatever you need Right, so my understanding is when you purchase it, it's been dehydrated, so it's dry, right? Mm -hmm. But then you rehydrate yeah. it with water and then just blend it up in a Vitamix or something, mm -hmm. and it, it turns into gel. I've seen, it looks different, like, I've seen different soaking instructions, though, Ari. Like, I've seen some six to eight, and then I've seen, you know, soaking for six to eight hours after you agitate it mm -hmm. um, to clean it. But then I've also seen, like, 24 to 48 hours. Do you have a preference on soaking time, or does it I, not really I matter? I just do... I just do overnight, like okay. 24 hours. And I've also seen sometimes they they cut up, quarter some citrus and put it in there as well. Mm. You know, mm. and that's just, I, I'm not 100% sure the reasoning for that. It might just be for uh, 
if it smells like the ocean, might get rid of that smell. I've never come across that issue though. Uh, but as long as it's like 24 hours, I think there's a lot, there's a rather large window. As long as it's like 12 plus hours, you're good. Yeah, I, I don't think you can over-soak it. It's just going to absorb all the water back that yeah. it that was dehydrated out of it. Um, I, I think the reason they add fruit is, fruit is just to infuse the gel with fruit flavor. Mm-hmm. Like you see the gel, like sea moss gel with infused yeah. fruit. Um, yeah. But here, here's here's the most interesting part, though, for our customers. This stuff is selling for 30 to $40 a jar. Mm-hmm. And the cost on it, if you're buying it, 25 pounds at a time, um, I've been told is only about 175 to $200. And then, so your cost per jar ends up being about $5 and selling it for 40. So that's a super high margin product. Um, and you can process five or 10 or 20 jars of the stuff and have it on your shelf in your juice bar. Um, and people will buy it when they come in to pick up juice and stuff. So it, it's a good way to add a high margin product to your same customers that's also additive like they're not doing it instead of juicing they're incorporating it into their diet so i think it's a really interesting product uh, for that reason you know, one of the things that i've noticed is most of the ones that i see is coming from saint lucia and my fear has been charlie since you've been educating us so much on you know spirulina and like all of these things that we're digging into and then we're realizing like 90 percent of it is crap and full of toxins yeah, my sure. fear is that it's going to be one of those things that we're all like getting hyped on and then we're going to realize it's all coming from some farm in china that's all full of toxins right. and it's being farm grown so at least the provider that i'm talking to locally um he's bringing it from saint lucia i actually have some soaking in my kitchen right now and i, I keep forgetting to get to it. it's been soaking for like a week and i'm like okay well i'm glad you said it would be fine. <laughs> huge pot my husband is like will you please get this out of here i know i just keep forgetting but um, i need to turn it into a gel but i'm seeing that some people at least i'm reading the email from my purveyor that um the plain gel can last 30 to 50 days but with the fruit infusions he's recommending a max of 18 days um if the fruit is not simmered or cooked it could be less Mm. um but yeah, I, I spoke to one of my clients who, you know, was asking me about it. And I said, you know, I, I first started hearing about it when Ari's um, second cookbook came out and there's a recipe for it in there. And I like, have it like, isn't there, there's a sea moss recipe in there. Yeah. I have it like mm-hmm. earmarked on my coffee table and I'm like, I've got to make it, I've got to make it. And then I've, since that book release, I've been hearing it more and more. And um, one of my regulars in the shop, who's this purveyor, um, actually is a distributor of it. and so. Um, I was talking to a client about it and she was like, yeah, I tried some the first day, didn't even promote it. Just put it out in my fridge, sold $750 of it on the first day. Didn't put it on social or anything. And I was surprised because I was thinking that it would probably be one of those, um, products that we put out that requires a lot of education, a lot of education, but, right? That's but what I would it assume seems, as well. Yeah. But it seems like people are learning about it. I don't know if it's, I'm not on TikTok, so I don't know if it's going viral somewhere on TikTok or where it's coming from, but it's definitely, I'm definitely seeing people selling it without having to push it very much. So I really recommend that something you look into could really be fun for the summer. Yeah. I, I kind of like it too, that it's not like it's it's a kind of a trend where it's getting real popular, mm-hmm. but I mean, if if you're from Jamaica, 
you kind of grew up with the stuff and yeah. like mm. it, people have been doing it for so many years you mm. know there's all these uh yeah it, it's it's been around for a long time you know and a lot of people swear by it yeah, I noticed that too, because when I started researching it, a lot of it were obviously island people, a lot of Africans use it. Like it's definitely seems to be bigger in the African-American community as a start. Um, most of the purveyors that I found have been African-American too, or island people. And I'm like, oh, okay, this <laughs> this is legit. Like give it to me from an island person. Don't give it to me like from <laughs> middle of like Minnesota. Um, but yeah. it does seem to be like, you know, similar to how like we've caught on to matcha and boba and all that stuff. It's something that has been done for years and years and years um, in these islands. Um, and so that does make me feel a little bit better. I just hope that it's being sourced responsibly and um, that we as, you know, people pushing it out to the masses are really researching where it's coming from, making sure it's a clean product. Yeah, apparently if you're getting this stuff from a good source, you'll actually sometimes find little sea things in it like little shells and like (laughs) snails and stuff yeah (laughs) that'll make me feel better yeah (laughs) like little mussels and clams and stuff um cool uh let's see what else we got here okay there's one thing i wanted to discuss there's some discussion about made to order juice on the facebook group and so also this is going to be my pro tip for the day is about um how to approach made to order juice. Basically, you need to think about it more like making espresso versus making drip coffee. Like it's a whole different undertaking and it takes more work and more planning. But if you can pull it off, it's a really great and high value product. Just like making espresso versus selling someone drip coffee and these discussions I often see in the Facebook group of people complaining that made to order juice is too much work. It's not practical. It takes too long. And I think it's because the mindset of coming to it, there's still this sort of lack of education, in the juicing industry that, Oh, it's just juice. You just put stuff in a machine and it just makes a juice. Whereas you look at cappuccinos and lattes and espressos people already know it takes work and you need like a barista to do it right but that's not how people see juicing they just think oh it's just a juicer you just put the stuff in just makes the juice but that's not the case um so if you're looking to make made to order juice i definitely recommend the m1 that is the machine that's built to make made to order juice because of all the, the way the whole grinder and hopper removes just by twisting it off. You can switch between recipes in a hurry if needed without rinsing, washing the machine. Um, you can also do it with the X1 mini, but on the X1 mini, the, the dirty parts of the grinder, like the base do not come off. So you do have to rinse the machine in place. So we've seen a successful in virtue juice bar in Vacaville, California. We have a video about it on our YouTube channel. Uh, you can check out. The title of the video is How Virtue Juice Bar Offers On-Demand Cold-Pressed Juice. If you want to search for it on Google, also uh, try to remember to put a link in the description here. Um, But I also saw someone complaining that even if you do everything right, it still takes three minutes. And like three minutes is not that long. The average wait time at Starbucks is three to five minutes. So... I, I think if you're trying to make juice faster than three minutes, you just need to be selling bottled juice. 
where you can process a bunch of it on the X1 and have bottles of juice there. Um, or you could do centrifugal juice, which takes a couple minutes. But if you really want to do the best, like think of this as an Italian espresso machine. Uh, you need someone that knows how to do it, knows how to use the machine, you need to process it in order, and then it can definitely be successful for you and you can charge more than a bottle of juice for it. So, um, I don't think three minutes is a bad wait time as somebody who studies wait times in, in my juice bar. I mean, that's about the time if during lunch that it takes to get a smoothie. You know, right. by the time you get the ticket, you get your blender, you pour your liquids in it, you pour, you know, all of your add-ins and you put the blender on. Sometimes you have to run it one or two times, which is a 60 second cycle. Get your plastic, pour it, call the name, you know, put the straw in it, call the name out. That's three minutes. So it's, yeah. you're right. It's, um, it's really not a, a long wait time. Now it can be a long wait time if you have 25 people at lunch trying to order made to order, made to order juice. And you've only got one and one, the benefit of having, um, you know, a, a smoothie at lunchtime is that, you know, you can have different containers. And so I can cut down right. wait time by having, even if I've just got one base by having different containers ready and having them prepped, ready to go on the machine. But so I can see where at, at like a peak time of lunch or something like that, where three minutes starts to add up if you've got several people in line. Um, so I For wonder sure. if, there, if there is anything that you could do for prep because for me it's all about prep um right so is there the, anything um, you can do to prep to help lower at least the switch out of ingredients or i don't know yeah I and that's exactly that yeah. that's exactly why the m1 is designed the way it is so you can have multiple grinder sets mm -hmm. and just take one off put the other one on and while you're making juice people can be washing the other sets in the back or whatever yeah um, so you don't need to rinse that machine in between juices. So you can really just go through and boom, 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 boom. Yeah. You can have an extra grinder set, an extra press set, or a few extra sets and just really yeah. turn through the stuff. And that's why I was designed that way. Mm -hmm. Um, with the, with the X1 mini, the X1 mini is more versatile because you can do larger batches of juice. So if you want to make right. bottled juice and made to order juice with the same machine, you mm -hmm. can do that on the X1 mini and not kill your business with labor cost. Um, like if you try to make 200 bottles of juice on the M1, it will take you eight hours, you know, right. but on the X1 mini, you can do it in half the time or less. Yeah. Um, and then well, you can also use it for made to order juice. But I think really, if, if you really want to commit to the made to order program, you need multiple juice machines and multiple people making yeah. made to order juice. Like it or really is like a much bigger. Like you said, bigger... those, those extra parts, right? Like right. that's the key. Yeah. Well, I, honestly, I think, I think like two M1s and... All extra sets of stuff. If you really mm -hmm. want to make mm -hmm. sure that if eight people yeah. come in at the same time on a made-to-order juice, you, you can deliver. Right. Mm -hmm. The other thing you it, can do is if you don't want to commit to that, you could just do like what some juice bars do. They have an X1 Mini. And they say, we do made-to-order juice, but only if you're getting at least three bottles and there's an upcharge. You know, So it's like $30. You get three bottles of your custom juice. That way, it's not the expectation like, oh, I just want to order a quick juice. You're actually ordering like a whole batch of juice to take home. And then that's the only time they'll do a custom made-to-order juice, which I think is also reasonable. If people really don't want what you have in the bottle, and they really want something custom, you, you're offering that to them. It's just um, they need to order more. So I think that also works. But Yeah, there has to be a lot of thought into the menu. Right. You know, mm -hmm. you got to make sure every combination works. Uh, 
having a custom menu where they can kind of pick and choose but not complete free reign mm -hmm. because you got to make sure that product's good after you make it. You know, you can't have someone just pick a 100% kale juice. It's going to taste nasty and it's going to be really expensive on your end. Mm -hmm. You know, so you got to be having like guided choices. And, and there's, you got to think about all the way up to the service part of it. You know, if, if you have an average customer with just listing all the produce you have that they can make custom, they're going to be like, uh, right. I'll have a little yeah. of that, a little sure. of that. Or they're like, oh, I heard that's good for you. I'll have this. I heard that's good for you. I'll have this. Yeah. 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 What I, I love doing is making little kind of a made order recipe card thing mm -hmm. on the side where, you know, where you have your bases, your add-ons, your citrus adaptogens, but have it available so that when a guest is waiting in line, they could start selecting the stuff. You know, you could even have predetermined uh, options for them. But let them start choosing while they're waiting in line, you know, because it would help the process and speed that up quite a bit. Yeah, they could also do, you know, at sushi restaurants, sometimes you have like little cards where you pick, you kind of check off the box of what you want. Yeah, you know, having have them that right pick that, right, where there's maybe one section of um, like what the base is, right? And you pick from these four or five ingredients, one set, and then you add ons. Um, because I'm, I'm seeing that a lot where people are just adding on, like, you know, like you said, like just crazy. And then they're charging them all the same price, like right. all made to order juices, the same price. And I'm seeing that also in the cold press world too. Like clients or consults are coming to me and they're like, I'm like, okay, well tell me about your juice. Oh, we have range from easy to medium to advanced to nut milks and all of these like delicious drinks, but they all cost $9. And I'm like, well, why do they all cost $9? <laughs> like that really bothers me from a consumer standpoint. Right. Like even my eggs, like today I bought $3 eggs because I was on a budget. Last week I bought $7 eggs. You know, like it's, you can't say that all bottles are created equal, whether they're cold pressed or made to order. They're, you have to be taking into food, food cost into consideration and then the markup for that. It just, I think it devalues the products in your, in your case or on your menu if everything is one. If you tell me that filet mignon is $9 and ground beef is $9, I'm going to go for the filet every single time. I'm going to yeah. pick the most expensive item every single time and get the most for my buck. But if it's, you know, $6 versus $9, versus $9 then I'm going to be like, do I really need the bee pollen this time? <laughs> like, you know, and so it, it doesn't end up being so expensive from a food cost standpoint and you're not upside down on, on your pricing. So I think it's really important if, if maybe this is my, maybe I'll change my pro tip. Maybe this is my pro tip. I really don't think, in my opinion, that all your prices should be the same across the board. There, there, there should be a weighted difference between what is in the bottle from a food cost perspective. Jeff, I don't know if you agree or disagree. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a beautiful thing about having your food costs figured out. It's because you can be transparent with a guest. Like, why is this $8 and why is yeah. this $6 and why is that $10? Oh, because this has this much amount of produce, how much it costs. You know, it's you're completely transparent and being able to explain that to them is really valuable. Yeah, so why yeah, do you think... Yeah, and I think, think it's valuable. Oh, sorry, Charlie. Why, why do you think mentally there's this desire to just make everything the same price? I have no idea. I think they think I, it's easier for the, what I have heard 
is they say it's easier for my guests to just know all juice is $9 and then they just pick what they want. I personally love to have, like I have an enhanced water line. I have, you know, shots, I have milks, I have sort of a whole variety of many of my cold pressed juice. And so what I like about that is when somebody comes in, when a guest comes in and says, how much is your juice? And they look at me like that, like they know it's going to be $11. I say, (laughs) oh, actually our prices range from four to $12. And it gives them an entry point. And then all of a sudden this barrier of like, this is really bougie juice comes down and it gives them an access point to enter my fridge and find something that matches their budget. Um, so for me, I, I just think it's, it's a relationship builder more than anything. Yeah. I, I think, um, I, I think there's two things happening. Number one, people are so used to thinking of drinks as just like this thing, right? Like you grow, mm-hmm. like if you go to the grocery store and look on the shelf, like all drinks from the same brand are all the same price. Right. Mm-hmm. Or you go to like a restaurant and all drinks from the fountain are all a dollar fifty or like sure. something. But juice is really not a drink. It's like it's like a I, I don't want to say a meal because I don't think of it as a meal, but it but it really is more than a drink. It's like a custom um formulated culinary beverage, you know? Sort sort of <laughs> like a go back back to the yeah. coffee analogy. You don't yeah. go into a cafe and they're like, all coffee drinks are $4. Like, no, you want drip coffee, it's this price. If you want a Americano, it's this price. If you want a latte, it's this price. Um, because the cost is different. And I totally agree that you should be doing that. Um, also, I think there's a lot of inner industry. I mean, I see in the Facebook group all the time. How much should I be charging for juice? How much yeah. do you charge for juice? Yeah. Oh, I charge $8.50. Okay, I'm making all my juice $8.50. Yes. It, it's like the not well, not really understanding why that price has right. been set, you know? It, a lot of it, too. I mean, not speaking for every operation, but it could be like, okay, I don't know how to do food cost. I'm not going to do the food cost. Mm-hmm. My competitors sell for nine bucks. That's I'm right. doing eight seventy five. Right. Right. <laughs> right. You know, and where you can make, I mean, we've worked for, I've developed menus for grocery stores and, not really high-end grocery stores like the super premium ones where they're like people aren't coming in for juice we need to be able to sell this to the masses and we need to be able to sell a 16 ounce bottle for four dollars you can hit that but if if you're not doing the correct food cost and Mm -hmm. figuring out what items you need to put in there to actually make that hit the proper food cost uh You'll you'll close your operation very quickly, you know? Yeah. I would venture to say that this week alone, 60 plus percent of the people I talk to have all their juice priced at one point, at one price point. I think it's Mm. that high. So this is your calling. If you have all of your juice price point, one price, please call Ari and Olivia so that we can help (laughs) figure out what you know really because they're gonna they're gonna end up upside down so we can help figure out what your you know chef can help you figure out what your actual food cost is i mean i'm you know i'm going through and i'm like what's your food cost and they're like well with label labor cap right bottle and And i'm like no what is your food cost (laughs) food cost yeah, you know, and it's they're like, but don't we need to include all those things? And I'm like, those things are great to know. Yes, you should know. 
I want to know if your labels are a dollar a label. That's concerning. Like we need to we need to edit through that yeah, also. I, but I, just I, I think we talked about that cost? before. There's a difference between yeah. food costs, cost of goods sold, right? Fixed cost. There, there really is right. a substantial difference there, and you need to look at them all, but in different in different um, yeah for 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 different reasons. Like first, yeah. you need to know. Yeah, how how much actually you're paying for the ingredients, and then you need to think, okay, then with packaging included, what price are we selling for? What's our margin? And then finally, you look at, okay, are we making money at the end of the month based right. on our expenses and labor costs with this margin? So you do need to look at it right. all, but not not when you're trying to figure out food costs. Yeah, and even something as simple as having different prices for your juices mm-hmm. actually looks good on a mm-hmm. menu. Mm-hmm. You know, I, when I was in culinary school, a lot of culinary schools, they have classes where it's just on menu design. I think mm-hmm. we did like three weeks on just menu design and it has like, I mean, we talk about, you know, where your eyes go and, mm-hmm. and shuffle through mm-hmm. the menu. Like you look diagonally across the bottom, then back up at the top, right. And then where you place your uh, high profit items on a menu, yep. but just having different prices uh, looks a lot better than just having nine dollars straight down you know so yeah and that menu design is a lot of what i do and so like for me i think the perfect scenario is going through recipes and food costs with chef ari and then coming to me so that we can i'll always say okay what did you figure out with food costs with chef ari okay this one is a 22 percent. this one is a 35 percent. this is how we're going to put it out on your menu we're going to place mm-hmm. it here we're going to put a box around it it's going to be on the signs outside like we should always be pushing towards the most profitable items in your store so everybody in your store should know what those are when you ask sally at the register what's your favorite juice or smoothie she should not be telling you what her favorite juice or smoothie is she should be saying what the most profitable juice or smoothie is and call me dishonest but that's the way you make money right i mean 90 percent of the time they're going to go with what they're whatever the recommended thing is. And so we should all sign should be pointing towards the most profitable item. Hopefully you don't have anything on your menu that tastes terrible, right? That you don't feel bad about pushing, but everybody should know what juice is expiring when, when we, what we need to get out the door, what the sale price is, what the discount price is, and what the most profitable is. Um, I think a lot of it too is, don't you feel like at farmer's markets, a lot of people start up farmer's markets and when you go up to a booth, it's like everything is one price just to keep it easy. I find that a lot at farmer's markets. So yeah. I don't know if it's just carrying I, over. That I would just way. like to say about the Italian, what's your favorite thing? I, I, I wouldn't want my staff to lie and say my favorite is this just because we told disagree. them to sell it that day. <laughs> I mean, can't, can't they say I recommend this without saying it's their favorite, yeah. you know, or something yeah. like, I, I don't know. I, I have a big problem with asking staff to actually lie about something. As long as they're not saying it's gross. Yeah. Where, where you order something, be like, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, be like, okay. Did you tell yeah, the manager I mean, my, about that? My problem with yeah, staff I, is It's like, funny when you ask, ask a waiter about something, like, well, honestly, it's not my favorite. I wouldn't order that. Like, yeah. Or, that's, or when you don't like, even it even feels weird. Opinion. Even as a customer, when you ask them and they answer that way, you think like, you shouldn't be saying that. Yeah. yeah. The worst is when you don't ask them. And you order an item, be like, uh, "That's I not very good." That. I'm like, "Oh, geez, okay." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, I have no problem telling my staff what to push. 
But then no, again, I'm not saying you shouldn't also... tell them what to push. I'm saying literally the words, this is my favorite when it's not their favorite. <laughs> okay, well, wordsmith that's all it. I'm saying. Wordsmith it to be like. Well, like, that's what I'm saying. Like Olivia says the most profitable is... juice is. <laughs> no, no. You could say like, what's your favorite? They could say, well, I recommend trying this one. This is yes. whatever. Then they're not literally saying this is my favorite, just lying. Good, um, good one. This I, makes I, me I, the I, most I... money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Olivia gives me my the best. most profit share on. <laughs> my favorite. <laughs> I guess I just don't like the culture you create when you ask employees to lie. I, I don't think it's good. Then, yeah. then you're creating this culture where everyone knows they're lying about. I, I don't know. I, I don't like it. What do you think, Ari? Yeah, I mean, it, as long as they tell the the manager, the owner, <laughs> they're not into that product. I mean, I think that's. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I definitely that? feel there. I, I don't have a a major opinion on it i mean if if there's something they don't like i think they should definitely tell their manager the owner of their yeah. operation no no i'm not okay i'm not saying yeah. i'm literally just talking about the question what is your favorite and telling them to lie and say something's their favorite when it's not because oh, it yeah, makes yeah. more money yeah, yeah like I, I mean I, I think i was just exaggerating on saying that but what i'm saying is is that every i think everybody in your juice bar that works for you should you should have an open enough operation that people know what costs the most what costs the least i mean when when my sure. girls at the front come to me and they're like olivia i want to do a new smoothie and they bring me the recipe i make them food cost it out i give them the tools right. to food cost it out they bring it to me and they're like it's 725 and i'm like <laughs> it's a lot you know like <laughs> we're gonna need to come back and figure you know like what can you tweak to make it more profitable right and so they start to learn the process but you know, it's just like when you like when you go fine dining and they're really recommending the special because guess what? Oh, the chef course. got that special right on some sort of rebate or, from or the purveyor. Or they hire a freaking sommelier that has a fancy pin. Yeah. Like this all just to sell you super profitable stuff. Sure. Like yeah. like there's no there's no harm in it. Yeah. Like when you go to order like, hey, could you want to start with some whatever? Right. And they recommend an appetizer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's totally fine. I think I think the best. Yeah hospitality managers are always always driving that home to their staff like you know yeah. you know offer them this offer them that offer dessert and also it drives the tips up for the servers too which sure. um is good for them as well so it's like the same thing nowadays with the modern pos systems if you recommend something to add on to the order and they add it on and then they hit the 20 percent tip button you just made an extra 50 cents or whatever you know so mm -hmm. I think yeah. that's also important. Cool. All right. Pro tip. Go. Cool. So my my pro tip is on knives. What you, knives you should be using in a kitchen. Uh, in terms of like a juice bar, healthy operation, or any restaurant in general, don't buy an expensive knife. You want to get a cheap knife. Okay. You want to have something that's solid. Uh, for a, an actual chef's knife where you do most of the cutting, you should never pay over $20 for that. You know, right. I, I even get packs of two for $20, you know, the <laughs> plastic handle, because you don't need anything fancy. Mm -hmm. You know, it's extremely important to have a sharp chef's knife, uh, knives in general, they need to be really sharp. So don't buy an expensive knife because those expensive knives take a lot of time to sharpen. You know, you need a nice uh, whetstone or sanding stone and takes like 30 minutes to an hour once a week. 
you know, for, for your operation, get like a pull through sharpener, you know, that's another $5 where beginning of the day, you just pull it through once it's bad for the knives, but it's a cheap knife. Mm. So it doesn't matter. You know, just have one of those because it, it, it kind of, uh, shaves off a little bit of the metal. Uh, but you'll have a sharp knife and it'll last you a very long time. So don't go crazy with the amount of knives you have. You have your chef's knife, which is your standard uh, cutting knife that you'll be using for almost everything. Don't get like Excalibur, you know, like two feet long or just get something standard <laughs> like 12 inches. Uh, I mean, when, when I Google chef knife plastic handle, a bunch come up $8, $9. And they look like the ones yeah. I've used in, in actual restaurant kitchens. Yeah. You know, it's perfect. You know, if if you're really into cooking and you want to have those professional knives, uh, have them at home. You know, if you're in like a professional kitchen, people will have their own personal knives that they bring in and they sharpen at home. Uh, but you're just cutting fruit, you know. So always have a good uh chef's knife that's that's sharp. Sharpen it every day. Get a paring knife. I also like to have a a, a firm serrated knife. You know, that really works a lot better for cutting uh, certain melons or larger, harder produce. It works a little better, but that's basically it. That's all you need. Like three different kinds of knives, cheap ones, stuff you could just pull and keep sharp. I also recommend if you have those sandwich prep carts, uh, you know, the ones where you lift up the lid and it's got all your produce on there. They normally come with a cutting board. Don't cut on that, you know, because it stains. It gets all the cuts on it. Actually have a cutting board on top of that and use a actual cutting board mat. Okay, they have these certain mats that go under the cutting board, keep them from slipping. I think there's a company called San Jamar where we usually get ours from. They're a little pricier, like 20, 25 bucks for a mat, but it'll last you forever and it keeps the cutting board from slipping. So that's kind of my pro tip for today. Nice, yeah, I I think the... It's very common for non-trained people to be using very dull knives in the kitchen. And it becomes hard mm-hmm. to do anything, even just like cut the peel off an orange if that knife isn't extremely sharp. I think you end up wasting a lot of fruit because yeah. you can't... You, you, you know how when you cut the peel off citrus, you have to go around the perimeter mm-hmm. like in, in a curve, and you can only do that with a sharp knife. Yeah. A dull knife, you have to push really hard and go straight down. You just end up wasting so much of the... Orange yeah. or lemon, so it, I think that's a good It's dangerous, point. and it could actually cause the oxidization, too, you know, with mm. a dull knife. When you cut herbs or anything really fragile, <laughs> if you use a dull knife and cut them, uh, they're going to bruise and wilt right away. If you have a sharp knife, it'll stay fresh a lot longer. Awesome. All right. Thanks, everybody, for another excellent hey, podcast. Hey, what about my pro tip? Oh, <laughs> er- earlier you said that was your pro tip. Oh, you, oh, okay, you, okay, okay. Well, I have another one. Great. I, I kind of want to share my, bonus, my other bonus one. Bonus pro tip. Sorry. First time ever. Bonus Two. pro tip. <laughs> Bogo pro tips. Um, okay, I, you know, last week we talked about um, switching over for spring and summer menus and, and getting ready for higher volume for smoothies and bowls. And that resulted in a lot of conversations and me getting some behind the scene Zoom calls of people's freezer situation. Um, <clears throat> one thing that I'm noticing is um, 
make sure that you're taking, when you get your frozen produce, if you're getting it from a purveyor, it probably comes in a box and then in a bag in that box. Make sure you're taking those, taking them out of those boxes, you know, breaking down the boxes and recycling the boxes. Don't try to be storing things inside of boxes. Um, that takes up way too much space. And then the other thing I'm noticing is when people are prepping for a new space or opening a new juice bar, they're doing a great job thinking about fridge space, but they're doing a terrible job thinking about freezer space. And they have very, very, very minimum freezer space to work with for a smoothie and bowl situation. So again, my favorite freezers are the under counter ones to use um, at the juice at the smoothie station. And those would go great next to the sandwich prep station that Chef Ari was just talking about. But I've run into this problem before too. Freezers and fridges are really expensive. So you may find that you just don't have enough space. A great backup option is to just go to Lowe's or Home Depot and buy one of those white reach-in freezers for back stock of frozen items. Um, because you can't run out of freezer space. Like just saying to a guest, sorry, we ran out of bananas or we ran out of acai because you don't have enough space to freeze them is not acceptable. Selling out, in my opinion, is not a good thing. It means you're not prepared enough and you don't have your procedures in place to, to run efficiently. We should not be running out of things and selling out of things. So usually those freezers cost, I don't know, are they like $500 or something like that at Home Depot? Yeah. They're just like, ones that people have in their garages sometimes. Probably for like buy, find used stock. pretty easily as well. Yeah. 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 So I'd really recommend if you're in a pickle for, for freezers um, to be doing that. Shouldn't be portioning out smoothie recipes in Ziploc containers. That That's just causing too much prep. You just need to find appropriate larger containers for your frozens or store them in the bags that they come in um, and then, you know, produce as you go. Yeah, I love it. I mean, the, those boxes are big sometimes. Oh, they're So terrible. definitely take it out of the box. Throw yes. the bag in a freezer. You can fit so much more. Yeah. I kind of like having a, a two-step kind of staging area for the frozen produce. You know, like uh -huh. I look at the, the smoothies I have, the ingredients on it, yeah. and see what kind of container I should be using for that frozen product. Uh -huh. You know, like a six-pan, nine-pan, third-pan. Right. And then I'll have those containers up front. Mm -hmm. And then uh, an area in the freezer with backups for that, yes. you know, one or two. Yeah. yeah. And then everything else in bags. But definitely boxes and freezers are, are difficult. Yeah. So, like, yeah. I'll usually keep, like, a bus tub of, like, frozen blueberries, a bus tub of frozen strawberries so that I can quickly scoop it out with a quart container to refill my smoothie station. And then the acai, as soon as the acai arrives, um, those are ones that sometimes we do keep in boxes. That's the only thing I really like to keep in a box and the pitaya because they're a little bit softer, but we pop them, you know, crack them, get them out of their individual package and dump them into a bus tub. So you shouldn't be cracking acai, opening it out of a container per recipe. It's, it's part of your prep work. So um, if you need help with prep, let us know. But that's will really cut down on your on your ticket times a lot. Great. All right, just a reminder, if anyone wants to ask us a question, head over to goodnature.com slash radio, or you can uh, find us in the Facebook group. Thanks, everybody, again for a great episode. See you next time. Bye, guys. It's another Friday. This week I did it my way. I made lots of juice, and now I feel a boost. Baby, say, oh, it's the way I make my juice.
grass and fruits and roots This week I did it my way Baby say oh, now let's have some fun There is nothing greater than Friday's academia